This is Focal Point for Thursday the 19th of August 2010. Election 2010. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. G'day Gihan, how are you doing? I'm happy Chris, how are you? I've caught election fever Gihan. Have you? Yes, is, is that election fever, is that when you feel sick of the election? <laughs> I think that's about right. Fortunately, we've had a very short campaign period this time, so you'll recover pretty quickly. Yes, indeed. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, the title of our podcast, Election 2010. And as we did um, uh, well, three years ago in 2007, we, uh, we ran a podcast in the run-up to the general election back then. And as Australians are heading to the polls this weekend, August 20 the f- 21st, for our 2010 general election, we thought we'd devote a podcast or two to this election from the perspective of internet and internet users. Now, in gathering material for this podcast, we found that we've probably got enough for two instalments of Focal Point. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the online campaigning efforts of the political parties and candidates. We're going to describe some of the online resources that we've come across and you might find useful in deciding who's going to get your vote and then how, in fact, to cast your vote, especially if, like me, you like to vote below the line on the Senate ballot paper. And finally, we'll conclude with a couple of predictions. And then in our next podcast, uh, the election will have been held and hopefully we'll have a clear result that we can talk about. And in addition to that, we'll talk about some of the policies of the major parties as they relate to the Internet, in particular the National Broadband Network and Internet Censorship. Yeah, and actually, a couple of weeks ago, Chris, when you suggested this as a topic for the election, I was a bit sceptical. I said, well, you know, this is a pretty boring campaign. I'm not sure that there's anything that's worth covering. I've been pretty underwhelmed by it. But I've been surprised at how much we have uncovered in the last couple of weeks. Uh, So there is plenty for us to talk about. And also, I thought, given that it's just past the middle of the year, I thought we'd look back at the predictions that we made about the Internet in general at the start of the year in January and just have a look at whether any of those things have had an effect, not our predictions would have had an effect, but whether any of those things have come true or are being part of the campaign at the moment or the the way the election's been run. Yeah, indeed. So why don't we hit the campaign trail? Um, At the last general election, we mentioned that we were underwhelmed. And as you've just said, Gihan, when we started thinking about the election as a topic, uh, we were pretty underwhelmed and bored by the campaign as it had been to date. But even that is something in itself, something that we can talk about. And uh, back in uh, 2007, the ALP had a kind of faux social networking website called kevin07.com.au and the Liberals had John Howard's rather embarrassing attempts at putting up YouTube videos. So you'd think that in the three intervening years that uh, politicians and political parties will have learned how to make best use of the net, but you'd be wrong. So we're pretty much as underwhelmed by the uh, the major parties' online campaigns this time around as we were back in 2007. Yeah, and I think that's especially damning because in that in that intervening time, we've had an example of the Barack Obama campaign in the U.S. being very heavily 
funded and supported by social networking. And uh, I'm just surprised that the Australian political parties didn't sort of learn from that. Uh, I guess Australians have pretty low expectations of the politicians themselves, but they've certainly got strong interest groups and supporters behind them who can take on some of those ideas and use them, but they haven't. And uh, just thinking about it, maybe it's just the fact that the US presidential campaign is based around a person, not a party. And, and, and we've said all along that Web 2.0 is largely about you as an individual rather than representing a business or an organization. So maybe that's one of the reasons why, or maybe it's just because we're, we're so far behind in terms of political activism online. Yeah, I think it's probably more of the latter, Kihan, because the Australian political scene, at least around the election time, around election time, is focused on the leaders of the parties. It's all about Julia versus Tony. And um, so it is becoming more individualised. So, yeah, it's strange that they just haven't picked up the kinds of techniques that were so successful in the US presidential campaigns. Yeah, but anyway, so the, one of the big differences that I've noticed this time around, however, is that uh, campaigning ha online has become more mainstream. So whereas uh, it was uh, a more of a, a piecemeal effort last time around, it seems to have become mainstream this time in so much as most of the major parties have set up YouTube channels and they push all of their um, TV ads out to those YouTube channels, as well as their policy announcement, announcements and various um, other press releases and speeches that they make. And most, if not all, of the candidates and major parties have things like Facebook pages and Twitter accounts. So the other day I went hunting for Julia Gillard on Twitter and she turned up. I remember around the time that um, she got rid of Kevin, uh, Kevin Rudd, I don't think she had a Twitter account back then. There are plenty of pretenders, but she has managed to get herself sorted out on Twitter um, since then. Uh, I started following her and uh, she started following me uh, in return, as sometimes happens, so perhaps I should look over my shoulder gear and give what happened to Kevin Rudd. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, she's patting you on the back to find a place for the night. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> but, you know, that's interesting. I, just as an aside, I think that Kevin Rudd, uh, he, he was probably the first major Australian politician to use Twitter um, in, in a big way. And I remember he got a lot of criticism for it at the start. And the, the, one of the newspapers had an article, a headline, um, Kevin Rudd's a boring tweet or something like that. And I think he's improved quite a bit. And maybe even since he's been deposed, his his tweets have become more personal, more uh, poignant, and been quite interesting. So I'm be interested to see what what uh, the leading politicians do with Twitter in the in the coming three three years. Um, yeah, well, that's they have that much at the moment. I stopped following Kevin after after he was no longer PM. I haven't got enough space for following politicians. So I normally just follow the two leaders of the main parties. But um, uh, looking at the tweets that uh, Julia and Tony and um, have put out, they've been pretty sparse. There's not much that they've that they've published, uh, not not much that they've tweeted about. So they're not certainly not in the same league as Kevin when it comes to Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And I think that just reflects that the major political parties in Australia are simply using the online medium as another distribution channel. And I was just quite amazed at how much there is a difference between the offline and the online um, conversations that are going on and the, and the way the parties are using using the media. So I don't watch a lot of TV now anymore, Chris, and I get a lot of my news from online. But I saw a TV ad put out by a country in which party it was and I saw a full page newspaper ad and it's just this just so shallow. They are looking at the hot buttons that they think are going to win or lose them votes without any sort of analysis, without any sort of real commentary, without any sort of 
um, even a narrative from their side, let alone a two-way conversation. And it's just amazing when you contrast that with what's happening online, where things like the, the particular policies that I'm interested in, like the online policies about the national broadband network, this, the internet censorship issue, there's so much discussion going on about those things online, but it's completely different and separate and almost another country uh, than what the general electorate is thinking. And I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad or that we're elite or, or, or not. It's just that I think the Australian political parties aren't really using social networking and online tools the, the way that they could, um, both, both for pushing their own agenda and for having real conversations with people. Yeah, they're missing from the conversation, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned um, uh, adverts on TV and, on, uh, in, and in print, and uh, the other place where the parties have been advertising, of course, is online. And early in the campaign, I heard that uh, the two major parties had bought keywords uh, on Google Ads for each other. So the Liberal Party had bought up uh, keywords referring to Liberal Party, uh, sorry, Labor Party candidates and a Labor Party name, and vice versa. But then you pointed me, Gihan, to a story. Was it in the Sydney Morning Herald? Yeah, I think so. This was talking about the fact that there was some concern that maybe there would be some sort of constitutional challenge if the election went the the wrong way, as far as the Labor Party was concerned, that they could perhaps uh, challenge that because the Liberal Party was in some way trying to influence voters in an unethical way because they were trying to, you know, hijack their, their Google searches and take them to their own propaganda. Right. Well, that seems to have cleared itself, that the, the Liberal Party seemed to have sorted themselves out in regard to that, whether it would be considered deceptive or not, uh, because uh, last night I searched for a couple of candidates' names, for example, typing in Julia Gillard into Google search, turned up a Google ad from the Liberal Party pointing you to some of their position statements on Labor policy. So they seem to have uh, sorted themselves out in that regard. I don't know whether the ALP is still doing it. I couldn't see any Google ads from ALP when I typed in Liberal Party candidates' names, for example. I was going to say, this, this, this has come up in the past, uh, not so much in the political scene, but in the commercial scene, where companies are buying Google ads for keywords based on their competitors' products. And yeah. some, some of them have been told that that's not legal. They're, they're violating trademark and they're being in, in deceptive advertising. And so I can understand it being an issue, but I really don't see it as any more of an issue than people hand, hanging around outside polling booths handing out how-to-vote cards. Uh, in fact, that's more intrusive, I think. That's right, and I think the commentary in that story you pointed to me to was about the Electoral Commission saying, well, our, uh, our rules were written pre, pre-internet, and so we don't particularly have any policy as it relates to what candidates might be doing advertising online. Yeah. The other uh, place where I've seen uh, political advertising online has been in YouTube clips, so not uh, alongside them, but actually within the clips. So I was looking up some satirical political um, clips the other day and noticed that the Greens uh, were advertising within within YouTube clips. So that was uh, quite a, a nifty move. Whether that's in whether that uh, means they've bought keywords or they've bought access to channels, I don't know. But uh, that was the other place where I've seen some advertising done. Uh, I don't know if you watched the Gruen transfer on ABC, Gihan, but they've been doing a series on based on the election and, and election advertising. And one segment they have is called The Pitch, where they get two rival advertising agencies to put together a 30-second television ad on a particular topic. 
and uh, one week it was in order to come up with a political ad for the Greens. And the two uh, rival companies came up with some really, uh, a pair of very compelling adverts, um, far more compelling than the official advert that the Greens have come up with. And one of, <laughs> one of the panellists said, yeah, I, I expect you can, um, you'll get a call from the Greens uh, about that. Do you want to finish that one off, Gihan? Yeah, well, actually, that's right, because I, I don't watch the Gruen transfer, but I heard about it in the last week because of this story that the Greens, in fact, did call and did want to buy that or, or get that ad so that they could use it as their official, um, part of their official advertising campaign. And the ABC said no. Uh, so the ABC said no, these are, our, these are made with our funds and uh, the ABC is theoretically unbiased when it comes to politics. So they said no, you can't do that. But actually what happened was that they, the ad went on YouTube and it's gone viral and it is, a, it is actually helping the Greens even though it wasn't officially created by them. Yeah. So at this point, Chris, I might just have a look at some of the predictions that we talked about earlier on in the year. And um, the, I guess the first one is that you made a prediction that knowing that the election would be coming up later, the, later this year, you talked about some of the things that, that would become issues. And we'll talk about the National Broadband Network and the Internet censorship in our next podcast. But another one you said was that you expected there to be much more uh, engaging and uh, interesting online campaigning. Um, but that hasn't happened, and as we've said already, I think that we've been underwhelmed by how the political parties are using that. Uh, a related prediction was I said that smart businesses will figure out Twitter and Facebook. So the fact that the political parties haven't, I think maybe that says something about whether they're smart or not. <laughs> I think you're spot on. Thank you. <laughs> So as in 2007, it's not so much uh, the campaigns run by the political parties that have uh, have been impressive. We've been underwhelmed by them, as we've just pointed out, but rather it's been what's going on around the campaign from other people in the conversation, so commentators, bloggers and satirists who get our vote as far as the best online efforts are concerned. If you want to laugh, go and visit Advanced Hair Studios ahead in the polls for for uh, something that's a bit amusing. And, of course, as you just pointed out, as we've just pointed out, that uh, Gruen transfer advert for the Greens and some of the other satirical ads have been far more compelling than anything that the political parties have managed to put together. Yeah, great. And, of course, we'll, we'll provide links to these in the in the blog post that accompanies this podcast. You will. So, so I guess, Chris, we've talked a little bit about the parties and the campaigns, uh, but there's what has been impressive and has certainly changed since the last election is the amount of resources that are available to voters to help them make a decision. And these are not resources provided by the political parties themselves, but provided by third parties, which actually help us as if we choose to be informed in the election rather than just voting for whoever we've always voted for or just follow the, the mainstream media advertising. If we choose to be informed, we can be better informed. So let's talk about them, and we don't have to go in, in, into them in detail, but just some of the things that, that are available now in terms of uh, helping us be more better informed. Yeah, well, to start with, um, Google, as in the last election, have put together an election 2010 portal, so they've got... Um, uh, a great big map so you can find your particular electorate and you can find what kind of uh, who the incumbent um, political party is or the uh, political uh, member of parliament as well as the swing to for or against them. Then someone uh, had the bright idea of putting up a Google Docs spreadsheet of political parties versus their policies. So 
for each row there was a particular policy and for each column there was a particular party and then the corresponding cell told you whether there was whether the party was for or against a particular policy or neutral or no information at all that was quite a handy little um, reference to finding out where the party stood on particular issues uh, interestingly when I first came across this spreadsheet it was a publicly writable document so anyone could update the document in, in the same way as you can update wiki pages let's say uh, but unfortunately that idea ran into uh, a bit of trouble with people kind of just being abusive and uh, leaving graffiti on it so they've made it writable but you have to pre-register if you want to update it so that gives them a bit of control over who has access to it that's a very handy uh, reference for finding out where the policies stand on the parties stand on particular policies mm. and if you want to find out um, what the candidates in your electorate are saying about themselves someone has set up a website where candidates can upload their election leaflets and you can uh, find out what they have to say on their leaflets yeah that's right and i, I saw a couple of other things as well there's a, a there was a sydney morning herald has created this this website which i thought was quite interesting it takes it's a little bit painful to work through it but maybe that's part of the point that you you got to endure a little bit of pain if you want to really understand the policies they call it votomatic and uh, the way it works i think it's got about 15 questions and each one of them has three choices and it's it's a it's a particular statement on a particular policy and you need to choose which of the three and it doesn't tell you which party makes which particular statement so you choose which of the three and then when you get to the end of the process it says okay well the policies that most support the ones that so the party that's most supports your policies uh, is this particular one so it gives you an idea of who to vote for especially if you're a if you're a swinging or undecided voter and you're, you're genuinely serious about going for the party that has the policies that you want then that's a really good it's a, it's a really good tool um, and we talked about mobile uh, one of the predictions that you made Chris was that there will be an increase in mobile apps this year and that's definitely the case and we'll talk a little bit more about that even later but there's a new iPhone app that pretty much does the same thing so somebody, some smart entrepreneurial mind has created this app it costs like a dollar nineteen or whatever those cheap iPhone apps cost and it does the same sort of thing where it shows shows policies and gives you the chance to, to look through them and helps you assess which party you'd be most likely to support right and assuming you've managed to work out who you're going to vote for when you head off to the polling station, uh, if, like me, you prefer to vote below the line in, uh, when it comes to the Senate, then uh, you've got to, your work cut out for you. In the Western Australian, on the Western Australian Senate ballot paper, you've got 55 candidates to number, from 1 to 55. And uh, in previous years, I've, I've had to go back and ask for a new ballot paper because I've got to the end and ended up with uh, the wrong number in the last box. So a couple of entrepreneurial people have come up with tools so that beforehand you can get your Senate ballot paper sorted out. Uh, we'll provide links to them. But essentially they, they reduce to working out um, which parties uh, you uh, support or which policies you support and then it automatically generates a printout of the ballot paper for you that you can take to the polling station and then you just copy it down uh, when you're casting your vote. And the other thing is that uh, 
If you're voting above the line in a Senate ballot paper, then what happens is your preferences are uh, apportioned according to deals done between the political parties. Uh, and if you want to find that out, then I think that information is supposed to be made available at the polling station, but that can be a bit hard. So ahead of time, uh, you can find that out, and we've got a, another link that will show you uh, who, uh, how preferences have been um, arranged for each of the political parties that are on the Senate ballot paper. Yeah, great, great. And uh, so that's, that's what happens before the election. After the election, on election day, when you want to watch what's happening and watch the progress, the ABC has an excellent website, which it had for the last election and assume it to be just as good this time, an excellent website which has a running total and keep, keeps you updated with what's going on, as, of course, the commercial news, news organisations do as well. But one of the things that's new in this election is that the ABC has created iPhone and Android apps so that you can, on your smartphone, watch the progress of what's happening in the election. And I'm, I'm pleased that they're doing that for two reasons. One, I'm pleased that they are recognising that there's a there's a need and a, and a usefulness in providing smartphone apps. And secondly, I'm especially pleased that they actually thought enough to create an Android app as well, and not just iPhone. And I think that reflects the growing popularity of Android in the market. Absolutely. I think they've done something also for uh, their News24 um station that they've set up, the digital news station. They've also got apps for feeds from News24. So good work from the ABC. Great. So, Gihan, we can uh, start wrapping things up with uh, some predictions or maybe some ways of uh, gauging uh, what might happen in the election prior to the result. Yeah, look, there's one other site that we haven't mentioned yet, and it's a, it's a very interesting site because it, get, it tries to gauge public sentiment about the election. So we talked about what the parties are doing in terms of their advertising, and you can read in the newspapers what the newspapers say, but of course there's always that bias and distortion that happens that way. There's a website called Electionly, election.ly. It's a fascinating site that monitors Twitter to try and gauge public sentiment. So instead of having to reply on opinion polls, we can actually judge from what people are actually saying. So it's run by Jody Rich, uh, Australian entrepreneur, and uh, what he's, he runs a company called People Browser, which, which has bought from Twitter access to the whole Twitter feed. So he gets tons and tons of information in and then does data mining on it. And you can go there now and it will show you what the current, what they what they assume the current sentiment is. Uh, and when I looked at it yesterday, the, that the needle was tipping over towards Tony Abbott and the Liberals. Uh, you can look back, so you can scroll back. It's got a little timeline, and you can scroll back to last month or the month before or while Kevin Rudd was Prime Minister. It'll, it'll go back in that time, and you can see how the needle swings. So I, I find it a really fascinating site to look at uh, because what it's really gauging is what people are actually saying, not just what uh, they say in, a, uh, in an opinion poll or a focus group or something like that. Okay, that's interesting. In a similar vein are uh, the Google Trends um, website. So if you go to the Google election portal, they've got links to their Google Trends site where you can look at um, the number of searches that people have submitted to Google for things like uh, political par party candidate parties uh, and also the, the leaders of the parties and also um, policy issues like immigration and education. And you can see uh, the trend over time in the run-up to the election of how many searches have been conducted uh, for each of those, those sets of keywords. And that gives you a gauge of interest in those matters. It doesn't necessarily give you an idea of sentiment, but it's still a little bit of insight into interest. 
Yeah, and I think one of the problems with uh, with all these tools is that they're not reliable for a couple of reasons. I mean, one of them is that it only tracks Twitter. So this, the election lead tool only tracks Twitter. And that's only one small part of the online community. And the online conversation is only one small part of the conversations that are going on in general. And unfortunately, the way that our system is set up is that elections aren't really decided by the majority. They're just decided by the marginal seats. So all the focus of the parties is really on trying to get swinging voters in the marginal seats to change their mind. And I know in my electorate, Chris, that whatever I, whoever I vote for it doesn't matter. And of course, if everyone has, a, has that uh, viewpoint, it does make a difference. But I know that individually my vote and my even if I change my even if I change my mind and change my vote, unless everybody in the electorate in my seat does, it's not going to make much of a difference. Indeed. Yeah, I think we must be in the same seat you have. <laughs> uh, the other the other place I've been turning to during the election to get a handle on polling results um, has been the politics blog. Uh, a guy called Possum Comitatus. He's a professional pollster. What he does is he aggregates all of the major polls, so News Poll and the Nielsen polls and so forth, and he gets a great big meta poll, and then he uses that to come up with his current prediction because that's what a poll does. A poll, polling question normally asks, if you were to cast your vote today, who would you vote for? Um, and, of course, we're getting closer to polling day, and so the, the poll becomes more relevant. But uh, last time round in 2007, I followed him then, and he was pretty close to the money, so I've been keeping up to date uh, with his blog, and uh, it's quite interesting. So if you're interested in the latest meta poll, then head over to the politics blog. Mm, great. So, Gihan, uh, what about our own predictions? Have you got any prediction you'd like to cast? <laughs> By the election itself? Yes. Uh, I'd say that Mark Latham is not going to be PM. <laughs> well, I think uh, no matter who wins Gihan, it will be a politician. <laughs> well, I think we're both going to be right, Chris. <laughs> well, that's about it uh, for this instalment of Focal Point. Um, as we said, in about a month's time, we're going to be back with part two of our Election 2010 podcast. So until then, good to talk to you, Gihan, and happy voting. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Bye for now.